that that showed me so much more that they learned than any written test or any essay could have ever shown. And, and that right there was like one of the things that really got me into looking into like educational tech and instructional tech and things like that. So, um, oh my gosh, it, it's amazing how much fun you can have in the classroom when you use tech in a, in a, in a, in a positive way, not saying that, you know, my ways are the end all be all by no means, but uh, it, it's so awesome when you see that connection with the kids for sure. No time, no tools, big expectations. How do you transform school culture without derailing the train? Answer, little wins that bring big changes. The flywheel effect, harnessing the power of momentum to create a school culture that celebrates change and drives itself. Hello and welcome. My name is Doran Pruitt. We are here on the Flywheel Effect. I'm here with my co-host, Anna Murphy, and we are former educators now working with the Live School team to support your school's culture vision. Our show exists to talk about the little wins that can have a big impact on your school culture. Uh, we are pleased to be joined by Justin McAway tonight, and Justin is uh, familiar with us. He, If you're familiar with our Live School blog, <clears throat> he's got multiple articles up there. He's got his own podcast. And you may not know, but he also produces this podcast. So we're making him work double time tonight. He's, he's a guest and he's producing. Um, so we're real happy to have Justin on. Uh, Justin, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, well, first off, thank you guys for having me on. Uh, it's awesome to be on this side of the podcast now, getting to, getting to talk instead of being behind the scenes. So thank you guys. But uh, yeah, I've been, gosh, this is my 13th year working in education. Um where do I begin? Uh, right now, I'm uh, my official role is I am a learning resource specialist, which is like a combination of a tech coach or instructional tech and a media specialist. So half the week, I'm working in the media center. I'm trying to find new exciting things for the kids to read, new resources for the school district, things like that. And then the other half, I go from just uh, school to school and I find new pieces of tech, new apps, new programs the kids can use to implement in the schools and make their learning a little bit more fun, a little bit more exciting. Um, gosh, my background though, I started off as a sped teacher for about six years. Uh, finally made the switch to gen ed. I was a history teacher for the last six years. And then this year I'm finally, uh, in the tech field in terms of education. Cause I got my master's in tech over, uh, the pandemic. So it kind of, the timeline kind of finished, the pandemic started to wrap up, school started to kind of reopen. And then I had my master's and made the switch to this new role. So it's been, it's been an exciting 13 years, which is just scary to say out loud now that I'm thinking about it. So, but here I am. So <clears throat> one of the things, and, and there's, there's a couple of things, what reason we wanted to have you on. Uh, one, your background for, for podcasting, I've got, I've got up my game. For those that watch on YouTube, he's, he's, got a, he's got a great background. He's got the boom mic, everything. He's got a good setup. So I've, I've got to up my game over here. The other thing I want to talk to you about is being a tech coach in school. So one of the cool things about this show is we can have folks from all sorts of different roles on the, on this, on this show and talk about education because that those little wins that change culture, they come from everywhere. They come from all sorts of spots. And one thing I think is interesting, interesting in the last, I don't know, maybe 10 years, Justin, the role of a tech coach has changed drastically. Like from the time I started in education, I don't know if the things you're doing was happening. You know what I mean? Like I think that the role of that person was mostly like tech support, and now it's it's really it's really a coaching role because of all the all the ed tech in the classroom. Can you talk about a little bit like how that's changed and opportunities that present? Oh themselves? yeah, I, I'm still trying to think. I know my first job out of college was around 2010, and at that point, the school district I was working in, they still had a computer lab. Like the kids would get up. They'd go there once a week, like it was part of the specials rotation. It was a big deal, you know, sitting in the air-conditioned computer lab. 
And then over time, and especially now, so many districts, including the one I'm working in now and the one I worked in for the past decade, they went full one-to-one, whether it was Apple devices or, or my new role, I'm working with Chromebooks and, and, um, and PCs. But yeah, it, at first it was more of a... Um, you know, we're going to start map testing. We need someone to set up the map, the map rooms uh, digitally and things like that. Or it was, it was like you said, uh, Jordan, it was more IT. We're now we're working in like the SAMR method and we're trying to get teachers to fully embrace technology and not a sense to replace the methods that work that are more pen and paper or more old school, I guess, if you want to call it that, but just being willing to kind of step outside their comfort zone. Um, because when it's successful, the kids are so much more excited, so much more involved. Um, and there's so many other ways you can kind of reach into their world to connect with them. It's just, it's a really cool thing to see, you know, going from, we're, like I said, we're going to sit here for half an hour or two. Now you have this device with you, you take it home and it's, it's yours for better or for worse. But, uh, it's, it's been an awesome, awesome journey in that regard. Okay. So the SAMR method, I'm trying to remind myself it's substitution, augmentation, modification, what I don't, I can't remember the R. Re, re something. Redefinition. So that is kind of like when when you use that tech and you're creating something that wasn't previously even perceivable. Like we without that tech, this isn't even imaginable. So yeah, that's that's like the the end all be all glory that we want to try and get everyone to. Um, but that's not to say like substitution and augmentation are a bad thing. You kind of have to wade into the kiddie pool, so to speak, and try and you know kind of take your time and try a few new things. And then, you know, over time, over years, um, you can get into that modification and redefinition role. I know the the district I, I work in now, the role I have now, they're just starting a big tech push with the with the tech coaches and with the learning resource specialists and like, like myself. And the decree has been, all right, we're focusing on substitution and only substitution this year for everyone. So if you're someone who's been teaching for 25 years and the thought of this new tech is like, keeping you up at night, this is perfect because you can take those baby steps until you feel like you have a win and you can continue forward. But then that's not to say if you have someone who just came out of college three years ago and, and is up to date on SAMR, we're letting them kind of fly too. So it's really the best of both worlds. But uh, yeah, it is something that I hadn't even heard up up until about, gosh, maybe seven or eight years ago, I became um, one of the district's Apple coaches. So I would go around and kind of help them in addition to teaching, you know, language arts and social studies at the time. Um, but yeah, it's, it, this, there's just a, been like this tidal wave of, of tech, which has just been awesome to see. So I, I will say this because I, when I started teaching, I had a smart board that didn't work. <clears throat> it was just on the wall. And I, so I would use the whiteboard that it had been hung on top of. I, I would work around it. And we had a computer lab I had to, had, had to get to and I had to, had to sign the little paper to make sure I, I got it reserved on Fridays and all those kind of things. And I ended up in a school that was one to one, and like we had these these big IFPs or these seventy inch touchscreens, all that stuff. So like things changed so fast. Um, and I was I was probably a little bit more technically inclined than, than than like most, or maybe folks that had had done the previous way a very for a very long time. So I I empathize with a little bit, but like when that change happened, I, th- I felt like my enjoyment as a teacher went up a lot. Like it really did because like I just, I just I like all that stuff. Now you mentioned one thing. Because you said um, we were talking one on one, and I'm glad you you went in that direction. Because you mentioned for better or worse, talk to me about one to one and classroom management and things you're seeing, things things people are doing about things. Talk to me about it because that, that was something that I had to deal with a lot. Yes, um, it's it's not without its flaws. Obviously, like anything, there's there's warts and all, um, especially in tech. I know when I was still in a classroom role teaching. 
Um, every kid in the building had an iPad and, you know, the kids were really big into trying to crack the system and be able to download their own things and get onto the app store, which was a whole thing and way above my pay grade, um, you know, back then. But the, the biggest thing, the biggest issues we popped or popped that had pop up, I should say, are a lot of, a lot more cyberbullying was kind of becoming rampant, unfortunately. So we kind of had to refocus our SEL lessons and kind of try and rein that in. Um, but yeah, it was just their, their attention spans. I shouldn't say there, the, some of the students attention spans, you know, they were so quick to kind of swipe on and off, um, in terms of like, Oh, I'm on the lesson. I'm on Google classroom. I'm, you know, making a commercial in iMovie. Oh, you're not looking. I'm going to swipe back to watching this YouTube video now, you know? So the school district, um, to their credit, the one I worked in that was an Apple based district, we had Apple classroom loaded on our, um, on our, our MacBook. So we could see everything the kids were doing at all times. And then it was almost like this silent war, silent battle, because then the kids figured out, well, if I disable my Bluetooth, Apple Classroom doesn't work anymore. So now I can go back to doing what I want. And then it was the teachers being like, all right, well, if you disable your Apple Classroom, we need to come up with some type of protocol. You know, what what is not punishment, but what can we do to kind of rein you back in and be like, hey, I get it. You want to do your own thing, but there's a time and a place and this is not the time or place right now. So it's this constant back and forth because... To their credit, students these days are very, very knowledgeable on the tech side. And, and a lot of times, I'm I'm happy to admit to the kids I work with, chances are you guys know more than me, right? You're you're a younger generation who's who's this has been with you since birth. Where, you know, I I still remember in third grade we had like not an Apple II, but you know the the giant floppy disk, which nowadays kids just know as the save icon. You know what I mean? So. Um, yeah, it, it was always this back and forth because the kids would always find a way to circumvent the system. Um, yeah, it never ends. I'll be honest. There's always something that's going on. It's come a long way since Oregon Trail. <laughs> yeah, I, I showed that to one of my classes, and they're like, "So, so what's what's the point here? What what is so great about this?" I'm like, "You you don't understand. It was a it was a time and a place. You know, we used to go to the computer lab, and you'd get 25 minutes, and you would only get to like Colorado. You couldn't even make it to Oregon in time. So, yeah, we've we've definitely come a long way since then. That's for sure. You're like dysentery. Come on, guys, dysentery. Yeah, I, I learned what dysentery <laughs> was because of Oregon Trail, and I learned what you know cholera was, and in, in um, you know all the different forts and things like that. Well. I went to school. I grew up going to school in Oregon. That's where I live. And we actually never played Oregon Trail in our curriculum. They would just take us outdoors and like have us draw cards. And like, so we did like, like the old antiquated version of it too. But like, we'd go on like these trail walks, very Oregonian. And they'd be like, you have dysentery, you have cholera, your family's died and we'd fall to the back of the line. So, but I wanted to ask, um, you're talking about like kids getting distracted, swiping on and off. So question to y'all, how many um, live school points do they lose if they get that? What do we think? That's a tough call. I, I feel like, I don't know, it depends how much of a message is probably the wrong wrong word, but it's like how much how much of a message do you want to send in terms of like how much of a focus it is that we need you paying attention and, and there's a purpose to what we're doing. It's not just for you to kind of goof around, I guess, but I, I'm going to defer to Jordan on that one. I have I have mixed feelings about it. Yeah. I have mixed feelings about it. Um, <clears throat> if it's if it's a problem, they're they're definitely losing some. But I, like you you mentioned the um, the student who would be like creating the commercial and and i iMovie and then they were back and forth between the game and like split screen and stuff. I had a lot of kids who could kind of multitask, 
and I, I give as long as what they were doing was was pretty good. I didn't I didn't get too worked up about it. I would I would use proximity, and just you know try to keep them on task and like you know try to keep them directed, and I would keep maybe uh, maybe have extensions ready for them, those kind of things. But I wouldn't get too excited about it because a lot of times those kids who could like who were good at doing like the multi screen stuff like they produced a lot of the better stuff. So like, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where I know, and this is where I felt like my sped background kind of helped is I would try and differentiate those project based learning scenarios. So like, all right, you are, I know you're going to get done early, but I'm going to add to yours specifically. Cause I want to see what else you can do. I can kind of push you a little bit further. Um, and in, in addition to that, I know when I was still a classroom teacher, I would always try and build in a little bit of tech time at the end of every lesson. So it was, it was one of those things like, Listen, I know you want to play games and nothing I do is going to stop you from playing games. But at least if we can come to the arrangement that, hey, get your work done the last five to seven minutes, depending on how, um, you know, how how giving I was that day. That's yours. You can play a game as long as it's quiet. You're not disrupting anybody, but you got to get your work done first. And and to be honest, that little bit of a contract that we negotiated, it kind of worked out because it kind of gave the the students a sense of um, ownership as well. So that's kind of how I ch- I. I want to say took care of that role, but kind of challenged them back a little bit to kind of stay on task. Hey guys, this is Jordan from Live School, and I want to take a quick break to share a story about one of our partner schools, Creekside Middle School in Fairfield, Ohio. Creekside's principal, Carrie Franchini, wanted to improve their existing PBIS system. They were using paper bucks as a reward for their token economy, but because of the logistics involved with a system like that, they weren't getting much in the way of data to make improvements. This made it especially hard to meet the needs of their tier two and three students as they didn't have that information to create effective interventions. So, how they solve that problem? Well, they improved the behavior at all those tiers by making Live School their tier one behavior tool. It provided a digital platform that made recognizing good behavior, correcting the negative, and tracking all the above a breeze. Once the program was up and running last year, Creekside recorded over 30,000 behaviors that were not ODRs distributed over 600 awards, and the reports feature of the platform was read and used to make quality decisions over 20,000 times. If you'd like to improve student behavior and school culture in your school like Creekside, check us out at wildlifeschool.com. I, I also kind of found that it, if they're going to use tech to be off task, you can use tech to get them back on task, and you can... You can just be be just as devious as they are. We got a um, we managed to get a trial of, and and like the name of the company is escapes me. Like there's a few of these that do this where they do the screen monitoring, and the way they're set up, it went through Google Classroom. So as long as you were set up through Google Classroom, you had this feature. So all my all my kids were on that, and they all knew they were, but they didn't know I had that, which is a little odd. But so like. You could close out their tabs. You could like make a message go up on their screen. Um, I had it to where I can make their screen go all black and it would say, somebody's watching you. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. I actually, that reminded me and um, Matt, the CEO of Live School, he's going to get maybe a little angry at me for telling this story. But he, when he was back in school, found a way using the school computers at the time to hack into an elevator in a nearby building and broadcast messages to them. And so he did that for over a year. So sometimes now went on to, you know, found a tech company. He was a teacher while he founded it. But sometimes this can be the start of a really interesting journey for kids too. So, you know, good things can come from it, I guess. That's, that's incredible. That's all. 
that is awesome for all the wrong reasons, but I absolutely love it. Um, and, and I know for me, one of the things that I always try to do, and even in my current role, you know, working with tech and, and pushing into classrooms with teachers is when we do, you know, I'm really big on project-based learning. I want to be able to have the kids demonstrate what they've learned, and I don't want them just to kind of regurgitate it back to me or, you know, yes, I totally understand tests and quizzes have a place, but for me, I was really big on like, all right, let's do like a la carte learning. So I'm going to give you five or six different project options, whichever one that you're leaning towards that maybe involves a hobby you have outside of school, or it's something that you really enjoy that you're, you're you have a creative aspect or creative component, you're going to pour that extra attention into it. And that was something that was really helpful. I know like I still, <laughs> I still remember um, in sixth grade, I would teach ancient Egyptian civilization. So we would go through the mummification project and we would go through you know, um, the pyramids of Giza and, and, and everything, you know, all, all encompassing. And I remember we did a, a tech project and we were using GarageBand um, and a little bit of Audacity I kind of brought into the class too. And I had some kids who were really into music. Like they were, they were the band kids, which I have a soft spot for because I was a band kid and, you know, played in bands and stuff growing up. But they're like, can we, uh, can we make our own song about the ancient Egyptians? Is that okay? And I'm like, well, yeah, I, I wanted to make like a Bengals reference, but I knew it was going to go right over their head. So I totally didn't do that. But uh, I'm like, yeah, that's fine. I'm like, as long as whatever you use, no swears, because obviously middle school, you always have to kind of remind them. It's not like elementary where you don't, it doesn't even come to mind. And sure enough, like I gave them like two or three days to work on it. They came back, they made a full on music video of them talking with props about you know, King Tut went through this and, you know, in all these different situations, they made album art on Canva for their mock CD. They had um, background music. They they ripped a, a version of, and I didn't even know the song at the time, but they ripped a version of Gucci Gang that had all the lyrics ripped out of it, thankfully, for my sake. Otherwise, that could have gone very badly. But they had the music playing in the background. They, they played the song and then they had their album art on the screen. We had Apple TVs at the time uh, with projectors. And I'm like, that's incredible. And, and these were kids that they're like, oh, yeah, well, we really like music stuff. So we figured we'd kind of we'd tap into that. And I'm like, that is that that showed me so much more that they learned than any written test or any essay could have ever shown. And, and that right there was like one of the things that really got me into looking into like educational tech and instructional tech and things like that. So, um, oh, my gosh, it, it's amazing how much fun you can have in the classroom when you use tech in a in a. In a, in a positive way, not saying that, you know, my ways are the end all be all by no means, but uh, it, it's so awesome when you see that connection with the kids for sure. Well, <clears throat> you know, and you gave some good examples there. The key takeaway from that is, is student voice and, and giving a little bit of choice to, to what they're doing. Now, that, that is easier said than done. It takes a little bit of courage as a classroom teacher because you got to figure out how to grade all this stuff and you got to and you got to kind of cross your fingers. It doesn't go over a line and all these things. But if, if you're willing to do those things, my kids are going to be more engaged. They're going to be better behaved. And the, the learning is going to be way, way up there because they want to do it. Right. Yeah, it, it, it definitely, after a couple of those types of situations, that's kind of what I shifted gears towards. I mean, we, like I said, we still had a test to kind of make sure I had some, some hard data I could point to, to my administrators and to the district and stuff. But yeah, it, just seeing them excited to come in and be like, all right, today's a work day. Oh, that's awesome because I just want to work on this so badly. Or can I take this home and work on it? As a kid, I never want to take stuff home and work on it. That was the last thing I wanted to do. So when you can make that connection, and, and it seems like a lot of those connections are made with that tech um, in between you and the student, um, you know, it just it makes it such an exciting time to be in education. What, what would you say to 
an, an educator or an administrator who was hesitant to use tech in the classroom? I, I, to me, it's it's all about baby steps. Um, you know, taking your time. For example, I just I went into a school today, and uh, the teachers were relatively new to tech, and they said, you know, we usually do this poster activity, but you know, I want to substitute it. I'm like, okay, awesome, I got you. We're good to go. So I came in and we did a full on lesson all about Canva, which I know Anna is amazing on Canva, making all the 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 slides and things that I use for all our videos and stuff. So she is a, far and above. She should have been teaching the class today, not me. But um, it was great because the teachers had never seen Canva before, minus some of the commercials they saw on TV now. And I just kind of I, I walked in. I said, all right, guys, we're going to do infographics today on uh, today was World Gratitude Day. And there was a push in our district to kind of play that up. So I said, all right, we're going to do infographics about World Gratitude today. Here's what Canva can do. You want to put videos in? You want to put animations in? You want to put, um, you, you want to modify your font with cool effects? You know, you can do all those things, but the ultimate goal is you got to make sure you have information that's relevant to the topic at hand. And after about 10 minutes of giving them the basics, they were like off and running. And the teachers kind of looked at me and they're like, oh, this is so cool. Like this is, this is implementing tech in the building. I'm like, yeah, th this is all you have to do. Like get a basic understanding and we can totally start to substitute things um, when there's a time and a place for it. So again, just, you don't have to have like this glorified, huge ultimate project that you're trying to aim for. Start small, work your way up and, uh, and go from there. And like I said, going back to a little bit of our earlier discussion, when that kid buy-in is there, it makes you want to keep going so much more. Even if you're not a tech person, just seeing how excited they are, it, uh, it really drives you. And I was going to say, like, this is just a lesson for rolling out any strategy in general, that the power of you showing up in that classroom and leading that so that teachers can see it. I mean, this goes for anything in any organization, but especially in schools. I mean, I remember when my admins would come and say they wanted a new approach being taken and I was like, okay, I have 20 students in front of me. I have no room to fail right now. Like there's just the thought of it and I'm an anxious person. So there was a spiral, but I was like, there's just no way I can do this. So if they had showed up and gone through that process and allowed me to see it and, and made it click for me by seeing how powerful it was for the students. I just think like, that is such an amazing way to approach change within a school building. Yeah. it, it, it It's funny that you say that, Anna, because I know you know, I try to set up weekly appointments with these teachers to go into the different buildings. And the one teacher in particular today, she had emailed me a couple times. She's like, all right, you're sure you know how to do this, right? Like, I don't need to, I don't need to be able to, I don't have to run this. I don't, cause I don't know anything about Canva. You're sure we're good on this. And I'm like, yeah, we're good. I got you. You know, I don't know the most about Canva, but I'm like, I know enough that I can get the kids running. And then really you kind of hand over that that gradual release, you know, the GRR method and stuff like that, you you hand over the release to them. And it's like, all right, you guys are now in charge. I'm just kind of a resource as opposed to that, you know, age old, like sage on a stage mentality, which that used to drive me nuts as a kid. I used to, I was like, let me go do my work. Let you know, leave me alone. Quit telling me what I need to do. Um, and then it kind of empowers the kids too. That, that, that email that you sure you know how to do this email. I can like feel the anxiety in that email. Like, because that's, that's the worst feeling in the world. It's like when you, you've got a class for 90 minutes and the thing you're supposed to do doesn't work. That's the worst. There's that That is the one downfall I feel like with tech. And in, in there's been so many times I remember my cla my old classroom was in a really spotty Wi-Fi zone in the building. So every day I'd come in and I'd kind of like I'd be like, all right, 
you know, we have a big lesson today that I need the Wi-Fi. And you, you kind of like saying a little prayer to yourself like, oh, God, I hope this doesn't go out. But the, the one thing I have to stress is if you are going to start implementing tech, you kind of need to have that A, B and C plan ready to go because there's always a chance the Wi-Fi could go out. Uh, you know, you might have a kid come to you that doesn't have their device charged and they don't have a charger. And what if your charger is already being used by a student? Um, and being able to differentiate like, all right, well, you don't have your device, but here's a version you can do, um, you know, that can kind of get you going in the right direction until your device is back again. But yeah, having having a backup plan f- for all scenarios um, is probably the one downfall to if you're going to implement a lot of tech in the, into the school or into the classroom. This is a <clears throat> it's a silly, like easy thing. But I, I had like five extra Chromebook chargers and like that, 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 that saved a mini lesson. But you gotta have to get over um, s- some of your structures. Have to be you have to you have to work around. So like my plugs were all around the room, but they weren't where the desk were. So like you're you're just gonna have like you start with like all right, you got to bring it in, charge all this. But you're gonna have to work with them. You're gonna have to go get go get that thing plugged in so we can move on. You know what I mean? So don't like paint yourself in the corner with like rigid structures. Be a little flexible and be able to think on your feet a little bit, and you can work around most things. Well, and, th- and there were situations too, like, you know, some years, depending on our resources and things, it was like, oh, well, you know, do not tell the kids we have extra chargers because we need those for X, Y, and Z. And it's like, yes, I get that. But if I want them to be successful, successful in my classroom, and if I have like three extra chargers that I've somehow accrued over the years from, you know, wherever they've come from, I'm going to pass them out. Like you said, Jordan, or I'm going to have charging stations throughout the room because, you know, ultimately they're here to learn and I want them to have a good time too. Um, and if that's going to, if that's going to be something that enables that, uh, that potential, I'm going to give them that, you know, like, like you said, I, I think it's definitely comfortable for sure. The, um, when I first started now, I talked about kind of my progression through tech, the, um, that I would find pencils laying around the room all over the place the first couple of years. And like, they just kind of started showing up. And I always heard these stories like, like, kids get in trouble for pencils and like, why would they get in trouble for pencils? They're laying all over my room. I found them every class period. Uh, I found that the last few years, the things were happening with chargers. I would just, they would just kind of accumulate my room. I had them. And like, if I was going to be rigid about it, that'd be kind of silly. Like learning still needs to happen. We need to move on. Spot your spot on. Well, and I saw, uh, we were building out this uh, database. We're calling it rewards that rock of there's, I think 120 reward ideas right now submitted by, by, um, people who use live school and people who don't. But one of them that I saw that I actually thought was really funny on this was they have phone chargers that you can rent using points you've earned in your token economy or live school. So there's a, a almost a financial literacy lesson in that capacity too. Like sometimes you have to pay for things when you forget or lose something. And the person did say it improved now students remembering to bring those because they wanted to save their points for talkies or whatever the treat was that they wanted to buy and suddenly they're having to spend five points or whatever to use a charger. So I did think that was kind of a funny way to also deal with that challenge while having them available for students. Yeah, it it's that that's awesome. I think because it, it kind of takes it up a notch. It ran, it ratches it up a little bit, you know, that all right, I could use those points for something more beneficial or more enjoyable, but I have a need that I, I need to have met right now, which is charging my device. So I'm, I'm going to use that right now. So I think, I think that's a great, uh, great lesson for them to learn as well. So <clears throat> before we let you go, Justin, I want you to talk a little bit about, cause you, you have, you have your own show 
outside of school, you you have a podcast that people can find. First off, I don't want you to plug that, but I also want to talk about how long you've been doing that and has that had any effect at all on your your kind of life and education? Yeah. So, um, gosh, it's going on almost, it'll be two years this spring. So we're about a year and a half, year and three quarters through that we started this. Uh, and during the pandemic, my two brother-in-laws and I, uh, we didn't get to see each other as much because of the lockdowns. You know, I'm, I live in the South suburbs of Chicago. My one brother-in-law lives in the North suburbs. And then my, our third brother-in-law, he lives up in Madison, Wisconsin. So we're all very distant at this point. And we just kind of missed hanging out and talking and seeing each other at family parties. So we kind of got together and, you know, I was learning Zoom because we were doing online learning at the time. And I'm like, you guys just want to do a Zoom call? And, you know, I'm like, I, I guess we could record it. I go, you think anybody would want to listen to three, you know, goofballs from like the Midwest that have, I know I have a really strong Chicago accent. I apologize in advance to all our <laughs> listeners. Um so they're like, yeah, you know, that's fine. And, and, I, and we just kind of assumed, oh, you know, our wives will listen to it. Our parents will listen to it. Kind of a pity listen, I guess. And for some reason, it it kind of took off a little bit. And then within a couple months, we got picked up by a podcast network and they were making like a merchandise line for us. So like we we still have like hoodies with our logo and our stuff on it, which still blows my mind because it, we're not we're not very big. We're kind of, you know, just our, our own little thing. But yeah, so we we love sports. Um and, and all three of us have a passion for baseball. I, I like baseball, but I grew up playing ice hockey, you know, and, and the other ones all grew up playing other sports. But we all love baseball because we are lucky enough or cursed enough to have two baseball teams in Chicago. Um, and we are each, you know, fans of, of either team. And we just started talking and, and then it kind of developed into, well, baseball can be really boring sometimes and baseball is not for everyone, which I totally get. And then it kind of morphed into this like pop culture podcast as well. So we do like a bunch of top five lists and we, we rank things because something about ranking a top five list is very th- therapeutic, at least for me it is. Um, and yeah, so we've been going on for a year and a half. We've gotten to interview. I, I still don't know. Like I have a couple major league baseball players numbers in my phone, which if you would have told me that as a kid playing little league, I never would have believed you. Um, we've got to interview directors and in, in um, writers and in, in uh, authors. We just we just uh, had an author on that wrote a novel all about the '90s in Chicago with uh, grunge music, grunge music and stuff, which is my wheelhouse. Um, so it's just it's been crazy. It's it's been an absolute whirlwind. Um, so yeah, I, I can't even begin to say how much I love it. It is it is a major passion projects that hopefully someday I can turn into like a full-time gig. Um, in terms of how it's related to education, it has been kind of cool to try and kind of dip my toe into podcasting for my students. One of the things I've tried to work on is, um, you know, prior to leaving the classroom and going into a more specialized role was kind of playing with the idea of like, can we make podcasts for our students to help them study? Like if, if can I make my lesson for you and then put it on a podcast and give it to you? Um, which is something kind of going along with like a flipped classroom. Um, the one downfall I will say, because our, our network kind of tries to promote us and they use our real names. I have had students find it and it, it was kind of the funniest thing. Cause you know, we don't say anything to, there is no controversy. I mean, there's nothing bad or negative on there, but they're like, you have a podcast. Well, what do you talk about? Well, why do you, why do you have a YouTube channel? You do you want do you want more followers? Because we can hook you up with a bunch of followers. So like that regard, it was a little nerve wracking at times. And I remember, you know, being like, oh, gosh, is this going to somehow get me in trouble with my building or with my administration? And thankfully, they're like, no, they're like, that's outside of school. It's your own thing. Don't worry about it. As long as you're not being, you know, some, 
uh, raving lunatic on your podcast. It's okay. Don't worry about it, which I'm, I'm pretty mellow as you guys can tell, but, uh, yeah, that, that's been the one regard where it's been kind of funny. So, so what's the name of the podcast? I sure. If I, I sh- see this, this is why you guys are the marketing folks and I'm, I'm the, the behind the scenes editing guy. Uh, so our podcast is called baseball and whatever. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at baseball and what, and we are also on YouTube at youtube.com slash baseball and whatever. Um, and yeah, so the, the, we, we split it up into two segments. The first segment is usually us talking Chicago sports, which all of them are awful. Uh, unfortunately, especially if you're a bears fan. Wow. Uh, and then the other half is the pop culture side. So we always tell everybody, if you hate sports, just skip to the second half and you'll still have like an hour long worth of a show to listen to. So we, we've done like our top five Beatles songs, which I've, I've, we've had people write in and say, my taste in Beatles music is awful because I only like the real poppy stuff. Um, not a fan of the, the more Sergeant Pepper's Only Hearts Club kind of thing. But uh, yeah, we've done that. We've done a lot of music. We've done TV shows and we've done uh, movies and we are still video game nerds. Even though we're all in our mid thirties with kids, we still try and find time to play video games. So we'll do, we'll do podcasts on video games. We, we tried it all encompassing pop culture. So it's, it's been an absolute blast. Well, <clears throat> that sounds awesome. And I, you know, you don't have to do a, a preface on the video games. I was looking at um, a Nintendo switch today for my daughter, but mostly because I want to play with my daughter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, so. there's nothing wrong. And you know, I will say I don't get to play as much now because I have an 11 month old upstairs right now that uh, I know my wife is going to be putting to bed pretty soon, but it it is kind of cool when, you know, I start my like get to know activities with my students, whether it was in a classroom or in this new role and halfway through, I'll be like, all right, guys, I am probably one of the only teachers in the building, but I still play video games and they just go absolutely nuts. And, you know, then there's like five minutes of asking them for my, they want to ask me my username, which I never give them because that just seems like a, a, a major pain in the butt down the road. But there's that connection then when they come in, they're like, oh, did you see, um, you know, with the switch? Like, oh, there's new Mario Kart tracks. I'm like, I did see them because when my daughter went to sleep, I was playing them. So, yeah, let, like let, we can have that conversation. And I think they kind of buy in a little bit more to what you have to say when it comes to the actual education piece, too. So it's 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 an awesome, uh, awesome component. So, yeah, that's, that's an easy in. Yeah, I was going to say before we let you go, I just want to proposition you on something. We are working on designing uh, some live school t-shirts. May we exchange a live school shirt for a baseball and whatever. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah, I can definitely. Yeah, we can. We can definitely work that out for sure. (laughs) We'll follow back up then. But thank you so much for joining. Jordan, do you want to close us out? Yeah. uh, So you already told us where you find your podcast and all that stuff. So all that will be on the show notes. Um, What about you? If if somebody's looking, looking for you, Justin? Yeah. So I try, um, you know, I have my, my professional Twitter account where I try and kind of tweet out what I'm doing or if I see some cool tech stuff. Um, and that is just my last name, McElwee, M-C-E-L-W-E-E underscore Justin. And you can find me there. Um, whether it's, you know, I, I still, the history teacher in me does not want to go away. So there's a lot of history stuff that'll get retweeted too. But uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of different tech stuff and just kind of what's going on in, in my day to day at work. Uh, feel free to give me a follow. The flywheel effect, harnessing the power of momentum to create a school culture that celebrates change and drives itself.